we're still here, and we're going to keep it going for a good minute. Amen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, we're trying to we're, and understand we're going to be dealing in many as, aspects and facets of relationships. And we are going to continue to get real. Um, no doubt we'll talk about marriage. No doubt we'll talk about principles in dating, which we, talked, which we touched on last week. Um, so we want you to, to just be mindful that the information that's being shared is appreciated uh, by those who are watching it. And I just hope that the folk here appreciate it. Why is a prophet without honor in his own country? Just let me know, you know. So I hope we won't have that to be our testimony here at Glenville. Amen? Amen. Amen. We talked about self-sex. And one of the things we discovered, interestingly, I read an article in ABC. And it says, the new masturbation is fornication. I said, wow, now how does that make sense? I thought masturbation is when you, uh, when you sexually pleasured yourself. Why? Because, and we shared this with you, because most people who are having sex, both in marriage and outside of marriage, are doing it to please themselves. <laughs> so it's all the same. You're just using, you're just using somebody else's body uh, to feel good for yourself. <laughs> you know, same thing, amen? Uh, a couple of things. Those of you who are watching, and I got a lot of feedback, individuals who are struggling, who are in many ways addicted to behaviors, behavioral patterns that were passed down to them, generational curses. Some of you um, are dealing with issues that you yourselves have, uh, have caused because of your own decision making. At the end of the day, there is a way out. Amen. One of the things I discovered about my own journey to wholeness and freedom, and this goes for any sin, is it generally takes hard steps. It generally takes hard steps. Look at every person Jesus healed in the Bible. Every person Jesus healed, almost every person Jesus healed in the Bible, he gave them instructions. I mean, look at almost every healing. Let's start even in the Old Testament. I mean, Elisha told Naaman, dip in water seven times. He told a blind man, go, I mean, spit in his eyes, then told him to go wash. Understand now, part of your healing is that you have to do something. And generally what God asks you to do in order to be a better person, to be free, are generally things that we don't want to do. If they were things you wanted to do, then you wouldn't be in the mess that you was in in the first place. Amen? Amen? First thing is, you need to tell somebody, if you are struggling, and this goes for any sin, but since we're talking about sex, but know that this applies to anything, if you're struggling with any sin, the first thing you need to do is find a godly person that you can share this with. Why, Pastor? Because the Bible says that uh, we must confess our faults to one another that we might be healed. Secret sin has more power than public sin. Understand now that the murderer who killed people in broad daylight is not more shackled than the person who is privately struggling with unforgiveness, who is privately struggling with sexual temptation. Understand now, when you are privately dealing with something, what you have simply done is you have isolated yourself from anybody that can be a blessing to you, that can help you, that can hold you accountable. And at this point now, you are on your own. And you think, you think, you dare say that I'm praying and I'm studying my Bible and me and God are going to get through this. That's not God's order. God has put people in our lives. Come on in here, somebody. God has put people in our lives to help us to live holy. If that was not true, there would not be a church. You think, and this is why, again, I must come again. Y'all going to keep hearing me say this. This is why this notion of church being a building is so disadvantageous to how we live holy. Because all, if all we do is sit down with people we don't know for two hours, how does that help you grow spiritually? How does that help you grow spiritually? Just to, just to pack inside of a building, hear one man talk to you, and then go home when nobody's in your face. Somebody need to be in your behind. Come on in here, say man. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Amen. Next thing is we need to get involved in a treatment program. Now, what do you mean by that? Some of us need to go and seek some kind of help. And this is the part that many of us don't want to do because we're too proud. Number three, create a porn free or sin free environment. You got to go clean some stuff up out of your house and up out of your life that are trigger points for your temptation. Number four, establish 24 hour support and accountability. You got how many of you can say right now you got 24 hour support and accountability? How many of you have friends that in 24 hours a day you can call and get support, prayer and accountability? Somebody get in your face and say, you, you, you ain't right. How many, how many have that? Whoa, guess what? Or how many have that? Raise your hands. All right. How many need it? Raise your hands. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, most of us, thank you, Claire, most of us do not have this. And this is one of the reasons why there's so much sin in the church. Number five, take care of your physical and emotional health. There's a direct connection you'll see tonight between sin and your appetite. Amen. And when we talk about appetite, we're not just talking about what you eat. Appetite is desire. When you, when you struggle to control yourself on mundane things, you're probably going to struggle to control yourself on other things. Amen. 
Uh, number six, start, your he start the healing process of your sexuality. In other words, you have to get a biblical worldview. I told you, what is the definition of sexual perversion? Somebody shout back to me. What is it? I told you. What is a perverted person? Yeah. When you disconnect, thank you, Linda. When you disconnect God, Ashley, thank you. When you disconnect God, when God and sex, when you think of sex and God, when you think of sex, God doesn't somewhere show up in the picture real quick. Like sex is probably one of the most powerful things on earth that is godly and spirit-led, spirit-driven, and spirit-empowered. <laughs> yeah. How many of you, uh, for your married folk, praise God, <laughs> and, and married folk, how many of you have prayed, Holy Spirit, help me to please my spouse? <laughs> crickets, crickets, crickets. How many of you have said, Spirit of God, come in my bedroom and have your way in this place. And my Bible says to me that without him, you can do nothing. <laughs> uh, have a plan of attack. One of the reasons why people fail is because they have no plan to succeed. And I'm going to talk about this tonight. What I want to talk about tonight, and I, I put this on, online with social cam, understand this. Many of us, we make decisions when the, when the opportunity for the decision comes, instead of making decisions before the decision comes. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Setting boundaries. The war zone is our what, everybody? Is our mind. The Bible says in the same way the spirit, read that, everybody. The spirit does what? It does what? And the Greek word for helps means to do what? To nurse. So in other words, God is a healer. And for some of us, amen, somebody, some of your stuff is deep-rooted. And this is why when I talk about sex, I know sometimes I joke, and, but I'm, I'm not trying to do this flippantly because I understand even when I talk with couples and those of you who are married, look, man, this thing is so bad now. I, I just found a statement from your girl Ellen White. She says that the sin of the age is licentiousness, immorality. I'm telling you right now, sex, the sexual sin is the sin of the age. Broken families, fatherless homes all starts with two people getting together. I'm telling you, man, you can trace almost every pathology in society to people and, the, and not to people's misguided lifestyles and their sexuality. Some of y'all got with folk you never should have got with because you got pregnant. Then you decide to marry them. Bad move. Amen. So what do we do? We use sexuality as medicine. Uh, we use it as like NyQuil, but NyQuil doesn't heal nobody. Amen. Just simply. And we're just reviewing. It just simply deals with the what? Symptoms. Deals with the symptoms, all right? The weapons the Bible says we fight with are not the weapons of the... On the contrary, the Bible says they have divine power to demolish what? Oh, listen, and believe this. Everybody in here has strongholds. And generally, you don't know what they are. That's why you've got to have the Holy Ghost to tell you what's wrong with you. Number five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up. Notice the Bible doesn't say that the issues are your behaviors. The issues are your mindsets. And Eric Thomas, do y'all remember Eric Thomas came here? He talked about that. He says, man, if, you're, if you can get your mind right, then everything else will fall into place. A knowledge of God. And we take, look, look at this, y'all. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So self-centered sex is not godly sex. And, and, and if we are going to start pleasing God in the area of our sexuality, we must first adopt God's mindset. Then we talked about rock, run, marry. Talked about shacking. And I told you the new church version of shacking is when Christian folks spend the night at one another's houses and they have sex with each other and then they go home. And then they say, well, we're not really shacking up. Well, okay. I mean, listen, man. All right. Call it whatever you want to. But we have Christian folk who are living like they're married, even though they are not. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk to you about some dating failures, some dating. The, our culture, our culture's perspective on dating is dangerous. This is one of the reasons why our marriages are so jacked up. Before you get married, you got to do what? You got to date. And I'm telling you, the seeds that are being sown in our dating perspectives are setting us up for failed marriages. We are dating according to the world. And I want to show you that some other time. But I gave, let me just give you three things. If you want to, uh, if you want to uh, uh, date according to the Bible, number one, you need to have observation. Like, like secret dating is not biblical. You can't be dating somebody for like five years and then just show up and say, Pastor, I want to get married. 
You know what I'm saying? Who's been checking you out? Who's been checking this dude out? Who's been checking this sister out? Who's been giving you advice? Who knows all the details of the relationship? Who knows uh, whether you're tempted, whether you're struggling? Who, know, who knows if he's abusive or if they're not? Who, uh, who, somebody got to know. And you say, well, it ain't nobody's business. Okay, you can have it that way. I'm pro- I promise you. It's gonna, and then you need the outcome. The outcome should be when I'm dating, I'm looking for marriage material. Amen? Number three. And for, for those of you who don't even know what to look for, if you've got godly parents, use them as your, sta- as your, as your stamp. Problem is, that's the problem. That's the problem now. That's why people are hooking up with the wrong people, because they don't got no examples. Well, look at me and Shanae. Yeah. I'll put that out there. We ain't perfect, but I'll put, I'll put my stuff out there. Yeah. Watch me. Follow, I'm like Paul. Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. Amen? Oversight. You need some guidance to your relationship, no matter how old you are. All right, let's roll through. I want to talk about boundaries tonight, because many of us, and I need some help. I need some help. Somebody go get that board. I need that board. We are, I want y'all to help me out, because look, man, we're doing some crazy stuff up in the body, y'all. There's some crazy stuff going on. And part of the problem is we're not, we don't have appropriate boundaries. Notice what the scripture says here about some boundaries that went bad. 1 Corinthians 5. Now, this is in the Bible, y'all. This is crazy. The Bible says it is actually reported, this is in the Corinthian church, they was buck wild. Listen, the Corinthian church was buck wild. The stuff that, them, that this church was doing, that Paul pastored, was buck wild. I pray to God that Glenville is not the Corinthian church. Come on, say amen, somebody. Woo! Watch this. Can I show you how buck wild they were? The Bible says it is actually reported, Paul is talking to them, that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. He said, man, y'all so nasty that y'all doing stuff that even pagan people ain't doing. I mean, worldly folk ain't doing this stuff. <laughs> oh, man, come on, bring that thing right on up here, because I'm going to need y'all help in a second. All right? He says, he says, a man is sleeping. Are y'all ready for the bombshell? This is going on in the church, y'all. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. That'd make it a stepmother, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would make it a stepmother, Amen. Let me work that out. His father's wife, amen? Not his mother, but his father's wife. Okay, so just know all this stuff ain't new, amen? <laughs> all right. I need to get some markers, too. You might have to go to Coxham's office and, and somebody, somebody hook a brother up. Give me some markers. I don't know. Are they in Coxham's office? Uh, my key's somewhere. I don't know. You hook a brother up. I need those markers. And, and, and notice, this. he says, you're sleeping with your father's wife. And notice this, and you are proud. He says, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship, the man who has been doing this for my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan. For the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may uh, be a new unleavened batch as you you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread unleavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now notice what he says. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So watch this now. Paul's advice, first of all, the church, they had gotten so nasty that that sons were sleeping with their stepmothers. Now here's the issue, because you know, the church has taken this the wrong way. And so what we have done with this scripture is, is we have, we have, the church has disciplined everybody that has done something sexual. Well, let me take that back. We have disciplined girls that have gotten pregnant. I was talking to somebody the other day and they told me, I'm like, y'all still do this? She was like, yeah, I got this fellowship from my church. Why? Because I got pregnant. Okay. Now I want, I want you to tell you, first of all, that's wrong. Okay. I don't care what they did, when they did it, that ain't biblical. According to scripture, The reason why this man, the Bible says, do not fellowship with him is because what he was doing, he was doing and he was proud about it. 
See, church discipline, when it comes to disfellowshipping, removing somebody from membership, as the Bible says, handing them over to Satan, is for people who are in sin and they are proud about it and they are rebellious about it. Not people who slip up and make a mistake. Does everybody follow what Pastor Evans is saying here? Notice what the scripture says. He says, because of what this guy is doing, and he's proud about it, and we have some folk like that in the church, and they're not, and they're not all having sex. Some of them are proud, and they mean. Some of them are proud, and they're unforgiving. I mean, and we, and we got to see, the reason why you kick folk out the church is when they are proud and when they are rebellious. When, it, when nobody can't tell them nothing, nobody can rebuke them, nobody can challenge them to live holy. When you have folk that will in your face say, this is what I'm going to do, and I don't care what nobody says about it, that's at the point where you say, you got to go. Okay. I've only had to do that one time in my ministry. Once. Because I rarely come across people that just want to go to hell. Now, they make decisions and mistakes, but nobody's just saying, oh, I'm ready to go to hell and forget all y'all in here. I'm going to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. This guy was in that category and he was brazen about it and was sleeping with his daddy's wife. And so Paul says, look, I wrote you in my letter not to so he says not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are moral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. So notice, it's not just folk who have, have sex outside of marriage, but it's also greedy folk, swindlers, idolaters, rebellious people. As a church, these folk need to be put out. Oh, I can't get nobody to pray with me in here. Where y'all at? rebellious, proud people that won't hear rebuke, who will not hear encouragement, who will not hear words of mercy, who will not hear the pleading voice of Christ from a brother or sister saying, turn from your wicked ways. Those folk need to be put out. Why? Because the spirit of rebellion is contagious. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, a church member, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slander, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. <laughs> Whoa. That's for real. And understand now, in the Bible, when you talk about eating, it's saying you should not have intimate fellowship with people who are literally saying, tell God I said go to hell. And tell, the re- and tell the rest of y'all church folk that I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I don't care what y'all say. I'm trying to tell you now that there is a difference between that and people who stumble. Any stumblers out there? Oh, come on in here, somebody. <laughs> Any stumblers out there? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right? So notice now, what we're, what we're seeing, and let me just slide through this. He even go, Paul, Paul's so mad about it. He even goes to say, he said, man, expel the wicked person from among you. You know, it took a lot for Paul to say stuff like that. Paul was always leaned on grace and mercy. But he's like, man, this, this is just straight up. Y'all just like in God's face. Now, what is the point I'm trying to make here? What happened was this brother had gotten to a point where he had made decisions that had no boundaries. I'm telling you, people, nobody decides when they grow up, I want to be a crackhead. Nobody decides when they grow up, I want to have four, four children outside uh, with four different daddies. Nobody, nobody plans to go to prison. Nobody says, I want to kill somebody. People, but let me know what happens. We are simply, hear this now, we are the sum total of all of our decisions. What happens is, is through life, we make decisions here, we make decisions there. And all of these decisions are setting us up either for good or for evil. And that's why every decision that a Christian makes should be evaluated based on their, somebody tell me. Prisons are full of folk who don't know what they're here for. And listen, please don't take this the wrong way. Some of us had children sooner than we should because we didn't know purpose. And God can work within our mess. Come on, say amen. But don't feel condemned there. Don't feel condemned. Amen. Some of us married the wrong person because we didn't know our purpose. 
Well, you with them now. <laughs> Understand now, every decision we make should be evaluated based on what my purpose is. I'm amazed, and I've said this often, I'm amazed at athletes. These guys are so strict about their diet, they're strict about what time they go to bed, they're strict about how often they work out. Why? Because they're a ball player. Listen, and anybody, my man over here, Derek, Derek, you understand this? Look, you can't be no great athlete if you wake up, if you go to bed at the, like, if you're always at the club, if you're always, if you're always eating junk food. Look, man, all the great athletes I know, Jordan, all these guys, they have one thing in common, work ethic, discipline. They had discipline, they had work ethic, that there were certain things they just didn't do. They were gym rats. They were constantly focused. I'm trying to tell you right now, the same thing should be said of the, of the people of God. Amen? Amen? So how do we have boundaries? How do we, how do we, and, and this goal, and I have some stuff for both married couples and those of you who are single. Notice where boundaries began. It began with God. It began with who, everybody? The Bible says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, I'm sorry, that's a trip, right? Wow, like the whole planet was theirs. There wasn't no China then, there's no Russia, there's no Europe, all that's post-flood. The planet belonged to them, and their bedroom was the Garden of Eden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I mean, the tree. Of, their kitchen was the tree of life. <laughs> oh, beautiful! And their church was God. Oh, oh my God! And they didn't even work until sin came. So understand this now. So they had everything, and so Satan came to them. And watch this now. Watch this now. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat, because the serpent came to them, right, from any tree, from, from, from the trees in the garden, but, come on, y'all, did God say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die? And it was replied by the enemy, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, so let me make this point. One of the strategies of the enemy, and I want everybody to hear this very carefully, is to make blessed people think that have everything they need, that they're missing something. Consider now, Adam and Eve had everything. Like, you don't get more. I mean, you're talking about being rich, being paid. I mean, like, they had the world. They had it all. They had, somebody shout everything. They had everything. Come on, let's talk, y'all. Let's be real for a minute. Brothers, he had the woman, not of his dreams, of God's dreams. Adam could not even... Think of Akil, Eve. God had to bring him to him because the Bible tells us that there are some things that are outside of our capacity to be able to even conceive. So he says, I'm going to bring you something. And the Hebrew word that Adam exclaimed is undescribable, unintelligible. The Hebrew scholars simply just say that when Adam saw Eve, he said, whoa, man. Flawless sister. Come on, come on, brothers. Work with a brother. Flaw, no issues. No baggage. Come on. Come on, fellas. Y'all know y'all call every woman crazy. She wasn't crazy. Come on in here now. And you're talking about fine. Oh, Lord. God made her. Before sin, God shaped her. her. She didn't come from her mama. She came from God's hand. Come on in here, somebody. God imagined her. And whatever God imagines is fine must be so mind-blowing that it makes your cerebral cortex shake. Perfect symmetry. Lord, have mercy. I mean, fully loaded. Come on in here, somebody. Fully from head to toe. I don't believe in good hair, but she had that, whatever it was. Come on in here, somebody. She wasn't worried about whether it was going to rain. Come on in here. My sister talked back to me. Wasn't worried about the humidity. 
her eyes were perfectly, perfectly matched to the very atmosphere in which she lived in. I don't know, maybe her eyes changed colors based on the season. I have no idea. Her nose was in perfect symmetry. She was, the, she, and she was spiritual. She loved God. Adam had it all. And then Eve, y'all. Come on, talk to me, sisters. Eve had a real man. <laughs> Can I get somebody to pray for me in here? He was not a lazy man. Come on. He was not a soft man. He was not a jelly-backed man. But here was a guy that was literally the second best thing to God in the universe. And this brother was sensitive. He was a listener. He was compassionate. He was godly. And he was fine. I mean, forgive me if I don't describe how fine he is because I just can't, I can't work on guys like that. But if I could, I mean, listen, sisters, whatever he had that you need, he had that. Homeboy was tall, dark, and handsome. Denzel, whoever your flavor is, Chris Brown, I don't know who you like. Whoever you like, he, I mean, listen, those guys couldn't shake a stick on Adam. Adam was made in the image of God. Now, we're made in the image of God, right? But understand now, we're like made in the image of God after like six generate 6,000 years of sin. We are totally de degenerated. Sisters, Adam, God literally looked at himself <laughs> and then looked at the ground and said, how can I make a man that looks just like God? He didn't have no kids. Come on, somebody. Come on in here, y'all. The only thing he had was pets. And these pets were so exotic and they were so without sin that when he told the lion to come here, the lion obeyed. Well, he named the lion, didn't he? He, he named the tiger, didn't he? He, he, he? he Listen, we're talking about a man that was in total control of his environment. His, his wife respected him because he was respectable. They had it all. But then Satan came in. And Satan shows us this principle, this principle of situational ethics. God told them, don't do one thing. And then they got so, hear me now, hear me now. This is the transition. They got, they had everything, but they got so consumed with the one thing they didn't have that they went for the one thing they didn't have and they lost everything they had. Oh, come in here now. Situational ethics is essentially, or well, let me talk about, let's talk boundaries. Boundaries equals protection. Any rule that God gives, any boundaries you set for yourself in your relationships are there for protection. For example, and we're going to do this in a couple of weeks, and I want you to start preparing this now. We're going to have a night where we, well, it's a night of declaration. It's going to be a Wednesday night, and it's going to be a night of declaration. And, and by the grace of God, and as you're moved by the Spirit, we're going to call you forward, and you're going to come here and stand before the people of God and make some declarations on some stuff. There is power in confession. Life and death resides in the power of the tongue. And many of us are hoping that we don't make bad decisions instead of declaring that we will not. I'm telling you now, and I don't say, understand what I'm saying. As I say this, I'm saying this based on God's grace. I'm saying this based on God's mercy. This, I'm not saying I'm going to do this within my power, but I'm saying in advance that I will not have an affair on my wife. That's a decision that I make in advance. I don't make that decision in my own power. I make that decision based on God's grace. I made that decision in advance. I don't wait till I get in a compromising position with a woman and then try to make that decision. Because if I wait to make that decision, then come on now. I don't look at porn no matter what. Not in my own power, because I would like to. But I, I do it based on God's power, and I declare in advance that by his grace, I will not look at any unclean thing. You got So there's some things that you got to decide before you get there. And the problem with Adam and Eve is they waited to get to the tree of knowledge of good and evil to determine whether they were going to do it or not going to do it. Now, what are some worldly sexual boundaries? Let's start with the guys. Real quick. What are some worldly boundaries that have, have been set? Let me give you an example. For example, some fathers, some fathers give their sons condoms in the church. Some fathers joke flippantly about girls 
in derogatory ways with their sons, sowing seeds of a player. Some fathers brag about their days as hoes in the streets and take it lightly, but they're hard on their daughters. Oh, come on in here, somebody. So I'm asking you, give me some, give me some other examples of how, just give, let's think about three or five. Give me some examples of some worldly boundaries that we have set, but that are not really boundaries at all. Any other ones out in the world? Somebody talk to me. Yeah, when you, get, when you turn 16, it's all good. <laughs> uh-huh. Anybody else? Drinking with your kids. Uh-huh. I'd also like to add that when we allow our children to watch programs in our presence that are compromising. What are some other, what are some other things? Give me one more. For guys. Yeah. Prom. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Now, they about to get mad at me, but I know you feel me on this. When I came up in church, that was not acceptable. And, and I know now that the proms are 10 times worse than they were when I was a kid. And we still have Christian parents who allow and encourage their children to go to the... Come on. Thank you. Because the rest of us are scared to say that stuff. We want our kids to have fun. All right? And what you're doing is creating a hoe and a player. And you're preparing them for the club. That's me. Next, what about for the ladies? What are some compromising boundaries we set for ladies? I'll throw one out there. Birth control. Some parents. Now, I'm not talking about birth control to control the menstrual cycles and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not trying to get into the medical part. But I'm talking about some parents who give their daughters... Birth control, just in case. Abortions. I heard somebody talk about clothes. And somebody said clothes again. And then the pastor added clothes one more time. <laughs> like, this, there's a new movie coming out. It's called Sexy Baby Movie. Uh, now, be careful when you put sexy baby. Don't put sexybaby.com. That goes to a porn site. Do sexy baby movie. It's a new movie about how the porn industry and how our society and how um, the um, retail people who are making our clothes are trying to get our kids younger and younger to dressing sexy and looking sexy. That's bad, y'all. Anything else? Huh? Piercings. Tats. Yeah, so listen, we're talking about a boundaryless society, and a lot of it is precipitated by the environments in which we are raised because we have permissive parents who are either trying to live through their children or are too, feeling too guilty that they have not raised their children right, so they just let their kids do it, and they want to be friends with their kids. Let them do whatever. So here's some biblical sexual boundaries. Y'all ready? Some biblical ones. Now, these is rough, all right? Uh, now, if you read Leviticus 18, it's going to say some stuff in there. Like, a man should not be with a man. <laughs> hey, man, that's about it. We're going to love him all day, but that shit, that's just, you know, that, you know. come on, somebody. <laughs> just some, you know, amen? And, and just like a man should not be a man, a, a man should not be with a woman unless it's his wife. And, and in Bible day, you would be stoned for that. <laughs> Dude, can you imagine how many people would be dead if we got stoned for every time we fornicated? Or lusted. And the crazy thing is, people try to make it seem like just the young folk are doing that now. Listen, man, y'all were some freaks back in the day, and you know it. And I'm not going to sit here and let you look at me like that. Put that little Marvin Gaye on. Don't try to tell me. that I got an article the other day. They, they had the top two sexually stimulating songs of all time. They did research on this. One song was by a, a, a heavy metal band called Queen. I can't remember the name. And the, the, but that was number two. The number one song was Sexual Healing by Marvin Gaye. So don't tell me that we wasn't freaky back in the day. I mean, let's just be honest. There's a reason why our kids are that way as well. It's not just because of society. Well, they, they were raised up in some homes where, and the crazy thing about it is, we have homes where people were freaky, right? And they never talk about sex with their children. 
I mean, never, you never have real life conversations, not permissive conversations, and not don't get pregnant. That's the church's version of sexual education. Don't get pregnant. Just don't, basically what you're saying is don't embarrass me. But you're not giving them any tools on how to understand their bodies. Listen, we started the sex conversation with our children when they were uh, three and four. And I'm not, we weren't talking about sex, we were talking about their organs. We didn't want them saying um, uh, epithets or uh, obscenities for their private parts. We told them the penis and vagina. Come on, say amen, somebody. We told them that you don't let people touch you in these areas and that the only people that can touch you like that, you know, you have to set boundaries early on. But there are some children who are raised in environments where there are no boundaries. And so here's the biblical guidance for boundaries. The Bible says flee from sexual immorality. Now, this is, this is listen, this is holiness, this is old school Adventism, and this is the stuff people hate to hear. But I'm telling you, the church that I grew up in all the stuff we did was not right. And how we enforced stuff would lack grace and relationship. But I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a, uh, I'm not trying to promote the old way. But I do think there are some old things in the Bible that we need to get back to. And that thing is flee from sexual immorality. Did you hear that? Flee, how do you flee in this world? <laughs> you got to make some hard decisions if you are going the Bible says that the counsel for how do we how do I set boundaries for sex run flee because he says that this thing and you know some people who feel like if I have sex I'm not really hurting anybody I'm just hurting myself and you know what God's thing is that that's like the worst person to hurt because the scripture says love one another as you have loved yourself. You can't even love people until you come to terms with who you are. Let's rock. Got a couple more. All right. Now, you know, this is what I put online. Let me help you with this. Write this one down. Remember this one. As you've heard me say before, the best ethic to make decisions on is not whether things are right or wrong. To ask pastor, is it right for me to date this person? I'm not going to give you an answer. Is it right for me to have sex before marriage? I'm not going to tell you right or wrong. I'm not. Sorry. Should I? Let me tell you why. I have given people right and wrong answers, and guess what? They go out and do what they want to do anyway. All right? They're going to do that anyway. Here's the thing. Right and wrong questions are what you call low-level morality. In other words, how close to the rule can I get as possible without breaking it? Just, in other words, what you're saying is just tell me what to do. I don't want to think about it. I don't have to wrestle with God about it. I don't have to agonize it. Just tell me right and wrong. That's it. I don't want to. Don't just tell me right and wrong. Should I do it? Should I not? Problem with that is, is it does not appeal to relationship. Let me show you this. Notice what the scripture says. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Okay. So if I fear God, God gives me not necessarily just a low level of understanding what's right or wrong, but he gives me a higher level, which is what, everybody? Wisdom. And I have used this example before. Case in point, let's use food. Like there are some things I should not eat, not because they're wrong or right. You ain't going to go to hell for eating the corned beef sandwiches. Well, some of you will. You know why? Because it's not right for you. You got sugar. You got high cholesterol. You overweight. It's not wise for you to eat that way. God will judge you based on your wisdom and not based on this, because this is higher than this. And you can't even know wisdom until you know the Lord. And listen, when you operate, ladies, in desperation mode, my clock is ticking. I got to be with somebody. I hate being alone because I really don't like myself. 
You, what, you've, what you have done is you have told your brain to accept anything. If they do these few things, well, at least he doesn't do what my other boyfriend did. So now your level of acceptance of a relationship is based on the last jerk you dated. So you're saying, just give me somebody a little bit better than him. Really? Instead of saying, God, give me wisdom. I can't read this. Read read this in your spare time, right? But this basically, Proverbs 7 is like a small parable about a dude, about a young man. Solomon says, I saw a young man looking out the window. And he says that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was dark outside, and he said a prostitute, a woman came off the street, lured him in, he had sex with her, and his life fell apart. Now, when we talk about boundaries here, and especially when it comes to, let's talk singles for a minute. Like, let me just tell you what's not wise. It is not wise for single people to spend the night at one another's homes. It is not wise for single people to sit on each other's laps. It is not wise in this day and age for many of y'all to kiss. I didn't say it was wrong. I said it's not why. Oh, come on in here. Oh, they mad now. Look, can, let's, can I talk to you for a minute? The sexual energy in 2012 is at a whole nother level. Y'all not even kissing no more anyway. People going from, from first base to home immediately. Casual sex is common now. I mean, don't play me and act like what I'm saying. Some of y'all can't handle a dude looking at you a certain way and you're ready to give it up. Some of you brothers have been so caught up on porn. A kiss, a kiss will take you, he will take you first base, second base, third base, home. First base, second base, third base, home. I'm telling you, in this day and age, the, the kind of... So what do you say? Well, I ain't, I ain't supposed to do nothing. Well, what's your, your mindset then is, just let me do as little as I can to fulfill these urges, but you don't know your urges. Your urges know something that you don't know, that your urges are more powerful than your brain. Your brain can say, not a good idea, but your flesh is saying, you better get this right now. I'm telling you right now, Look, I know this sounds old school. This sounds very rigid. Y'all gonna think, man, this guy is wild. But I'm telling you right now, I have, I, I mean, out of the people I talk to, I would say 80 to 90% of single Christians are having sex. And here's the problem with sex. The minute that you have sex with somebody that is not your husband, it is totally impossible for there to be objectivity in the relationship. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. (laughs) Oh, I can't get no help in here. I'm trying to tell you something. Listen, understand this now. It is, people come to my office, Pastor, we want to talk, we want to get married. Uh, And I'll say, okay, you're having sex. And don't worry, I'm not going to judge you. I mean, I ain't going to judge you, for real. But then I'll begin to say, okay, now now that we know this, you got to stop. You got to. Because here's the thing. The minute there is copulation and intercourse, it totally throws out logic. I mean, it takes logic and throws it in the deepest sea. At that point now, especially for the sister, there is an attachment that she has. And no matter what she sees, she will ignore. It is very rare that you have uh, people stay in abusive relationships where there's not sex. Smack, beat up on a woman, and you ain't never had sex. She's gonna whoop your behind. <laughs> Cheat on a sister, and y'all never had sex, she's gonna leave your butt. But the minute that you give up the cookies, you automatically start accepting stuff that before you would not accept because there was a biological and a spiritual attachment and I can't get nobody to talk back to me in here. (laughs) And brothers think that they're exempt from it. 
Here's the thing. Mike Kelly told us the other week. I'm almost done. He said, your boy Mike said, look, let me tell you, a lot of times we harp on the ladies and how attached they become when they have sex and what it does to their minds and their emotions and their lack of judgment. Let me tell you what it does to the fellas. Fellas, the more people you have sex with, the more porn you watch, the with God, all things are possible. You heard me say that, right? Okay, okay. But it almost becomes impossible, Derek, to love a woman in a monogamous way. Oh, y'all missed what I just said there. I don't know how many people I counsel with who are real with me, and they struggle in their sex. We think the more sex I have before marriage, the more prepared I will be for in the bedroom. You can't prepare for sex with a woman you ain't never had sex with. And you definitely can't prepare for, and listen, you could be shacking up with a sister and having sex with her every day before you get married. The minute you get married, sex changes. Let the church say amen. Let the church. I'm trying to tell y'all, this is the real deal. I'm going to say right now, and that's why we need to have a declaration service where we walk up here and say, I will not jack up my relationships. I will not jack up this dude. I will not jack up this sister. I will make a decision. I will not jack up myself. I'm going to determine, even before I get there, that I will not, I will not give the cookies up. I will not do it. Brother or sister, I cannot compromise a relationship. And, and, and understand now, just because you have sex with somebody doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is dead, it's no good, and God can't bless it. But it definitely, I mean, almost exponentially changes the dynamic where it's hard for you to be able to understand and focus on the real issues at hand because sex is like putting hands over your eyes so that you cannot see. Case in point, your boy Joseph, you all remember him? His moral ethic, two minutes, his moral ethic was when Potiphar's fine wife believed, understand now, this dude is like second, he's like, he is like the director of secret service for, for Egypt. Don't, don't think that this brother, you know what I'm saying, had, had, had you know what I'm saying, this sister was on point. And homegirl, <laughs> waiting for everybody to be gone had your handsome young man, Ellen White says, in the prime of his manhood. I mean, and he was a slave. He was the hardest working dude. Come on, give your boy Joseph some props. Your boy was, your boy was cock diesel. Come on now. Your boy, your boy, come on. Hey, Kashim, before, before the marriage. You know what I'm saying? You remember that? Come on, they were swole. He had his six pack. He was swole. He carried himself with dignity. Your boy was tight. And that girl, she just couldn't take it no more. She was like, oh, y'all get out. Your boy Joseph was doing his work, man. He wasn't paying no attention to that. He holy, man. That, plus, he, he's still mad because he doesn't got sold out by his brothers. Don't mess with an angry brother. Homeboy, I mean, he's just about, he's he trying to get up out of slavery. And homegirl rolls up on him. But notice, Joseph has already made a decision. He made it a long time ago. He didn't wait for the moment to come to determine as to whether he was going to do it or not do it. And see, that's what happens with many of us. Many of us fall into temptation because we wait for the moment to come to determine whether we're going to do it or not going to do it. Oh, I'm struggling. Oh, I'm feeling, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to. I'm trying not to. Oh, I don't want to. Now, it's, tw it's one o'clock in the morning. You're at their apartment. Come on, say amen, somebody. You just watched the movie. A sex scene just came on. You're attracted to them. They're walking around in short shorts. You, you done took your shirt off because it's hot in there. And, and then you're saying to yourself, oh, I'm not going to do it. The blood of Jesus. God is going to give me the victory. God, all, all power is given unto me. And, and while you're doing that, your shirt's coming off. Come on, say amen. Her clothes are coming off. Come on, say amen. I'm saying, been there, done that. With prayer partners. Come on in here. Don't play your boy. Your boy knows how it goes down. And so the enemy makes plans for us, and we don't make plans for ourselves. You as a single person must determine, I'm not going to, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care if we're two days for marriage. I'm not going to be over my significant other's house at night by myself, watching stuff we don't got no business, and thinking ain't nothing going to go down. Please! All right, I'm done. I gotta show you one more thing. Yeah. So we gotta do what, everybody? Make decisions when? Before they come. And don't feel your way through life. <laughs> Some of y'all just doing what you feel. It don't feel right. It feels good. But it's uh, okay. All right. Now, the last thing. You need to understand this the power of the will. 
That's why we're going to have this declaration service. Look what your girl says. Listen, when you make up your mind to do something, God gets behind your decision. Some sisters need to say tonight, I will not date a jerk. Some of you are attracted to jerks. Because your self-esteem and your view of yourself is so low, you always with jerks. Always. Always. Let the church say amen. Come on. There are some brothers that just don't know how to be faithful. Your daddy was unfaithful. The boys you hang with all talk about women they've been with. And so I, I talk to some young cats, and man, they say to me, man, I'm just scared, man. I'm scared, Pastor. What? Because I got a good thing here, man. I don't want to mess it up. Did you make a decision that you're not going to mess it up? You ain't made no decision. You ain't made up your mind. Because you keep talking to yourself. I don't know if I can do this. All that kind of talk. I don't know. I feel like I'm a struggle. I saw this. This sister was trying to holler at me at the job, man. I, I just got me. You have already made yourself susceptible to falling because you negotiate. You want to do it. Look what your girl says. She says, the will is the governing power in the nature of man. Bringing all other faculties under its sway. The will is not the taste or inclination, the senses. Uh Uh-oh. How'd that happen? Hold on. Hey, what happened to my presentation? Ah, that must be it. All right, so the point I was trying to make here is that a lot of us are waiting on God to do some stuff that he wants us to do. Like, so the point is, your will is basically your power of choice. Once you choose by the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer with God, here are certain things, and I encourage you, get a list out and take your list and say, here are the following things that I would never compromise on that I will not do. These are my values. This is my life. I choose in advance that me and the Holy Ghost are going to do this together. And notice what the scripture says. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. So God helps your will. And notice, and I like this, because I can't help myself. I just can't stop. The Bible says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. (laughs) But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This is how the message Bible says it. No test, uh, Quentin, or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. In other words, other people have overcome this thing. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He will never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you to come through it. Look, did you hear, do you know what that means? That there is never an excuse to sin because there's always a way of escape. Ten boundaries for the married folk, real quick. Here, ten boundaries, that's what I'm going to throw out there for the, for the married folk. Too. Down. Number one, no other relationship before my spouse. That's a boundary. Understand, sisters and brothers, do not put your children before your spouse. Do not put your mother before your spouse, family members and co-workers. Your spouse is first. Hmm. Number two, remember date night to keep it holy. Have your date night and keep it no matter how that Negro's acting. How she acting. Keep that thing holy. Number three, honor special days. Celebrate her birthday. Don't tell me because we've been married for a few years now. We don't do birthdays no more. Ain't a human being in here don't like to be celebrated. I'm too grown for birthdays. That's a lie. Throw a birthday party for the meanest person in the world, and you'll see them break out giggling and laughing. People love to be celebrated. Number four, no flirting. Make up your mind, husband, wife, that you will not flirt with other people. I don't care if you ain't had none in two, three, four, five years. You will not flirt. Let the church say. <laughs> Number five, no sex excuses. 
Now understand, let me preface this by saying, sometimes there are medical situations. Sometimes there are tragedies. Sometimes there are things that happen that we understand. Where there's, I mean, come on now. Listen, man. Brother, calm down, man. Your, your, your wife just got out of surgery. <laughs> calm down. Her mother passed. Relax. She's going through some things right now. Be patient. So we must, we must understand what one, another, what one another are going through, right? But I, okay, there's a difference between a reason and an excuse. Now, I'm talking about some of us who are just making up excuses because we don't want to go there. You don't feel well. You're tired. It's been a long day. All this kind of stuff. Listen, so, listen, you're setting one another up for sin. No sex excuses. Kids might hear us. You know, come, listen. <laughs> Let the church say amen. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, my mind is not right. I'm, just, I'm not ready. I got, a, I got a headache. You know, I mean, listen, all, listen, brothers and sisters, the scripture gives you a command that you satisfy your spouse. Not that you be satisfied. And the church said amen. I'm telling you right now, people, and I'm not saying this is the only thing, but people are less likely, especially let me talk to you sisters, your husbands are less likely to want to go and be satisfied when you are satisfying him. I told you all the other week, I see some of these husbands coming up in here on Sabbath looking all upset. Let that, help that brother to lift his hands and worship. <laughs> help that man to be able to honor God. Brother can't even come in here and praise the Lord. It's been four and five weeks and so forth. Come on, brothers and sisters, come on. We're not talking about medical things. Listen, we're not talking about, and listen, if there are issues in your marriage, I don't encourage you to have sex, to solve them. So understand, I'm not saying that. If you got to work through some stuff, work through it. But do not be willfully holding sex, using sex, as a controlling mechanism. I know I'm preaching, and I preach all by myself. Preach, Edmonds. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. I, I got five more, right? All right. Number six. I will avoid alone time with the opposite sex. Married folk. Just can't do it. All right. Number seven. I will not share intimate details of my marriage with others. Listen, and I'm talking about many of the brothers. There's some brothers I hear you talking about what you do with your wife like with other dudes. That's not cool. What you've, did, what you've done is you've given them a visual picture of your wife. And so what that is basically verbal pornography of your wife. You, put your, you sold your wife for pornography. Come on. Number eight, I shall not expose myself to sexually explicit things. Amen? And this is how you can lust after your spouse. It's amazing. If you're watching something sexually explicit, then it's naturally going to arouse you. And then you're going to look for somebody to take out your arousal on. And what you've done is you've used an improper motivation to make love to your spouse. You're going there with selfish motives. Number nine, I shall remember the implications of adultery. In other words, for those of you who are in an adulterous relationship, who are watching, those that are present here, for those of you who are contemplating it, you don't want to do that. The consequences... Oh, you don't think nobody's going to find out? And what you forgot is, he might be crazy and she might be crazy. <laughs> Look, they never crazy until after. <laughs> Last one. I will recognize that blessing my spouse is to bless God. Let's put our hands together for the word of God tonight. Come on. Come on, amen. Let's pray. I promise I'm going to do some question and answer. I promise. Maybe next Wednesday, I promise. People have been telling me, Pastor, come on, you're you, you bringing some stuff. But listen, I got, there's some stuff you're not even touching on. <laughs> we need to get settled. Let's plan for next Wednesday. We'll do some question and answer. We'll do it anonymously so that you can answer, uh, send them either via the screen or whatnot. Nobody will know it's you. And we can, we can wrestle with some stuff. So I promise I'll do short so we can answer questions. If you already have questions, what you can do is, if you feel comfortable, Go on my Facebook page, go on my inbox, put the questions out there. I mean, obviously I'll know it's you, but, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know any other way. Or you can go on our website to our prayer link, the email, 
and it won't tell me who it is. You go to our prayer email, I'll get the emails, it'll have your questions on there, and you know, we'll be able to address them, because I know there's some things that we're not covering, but by the grace of God, we will. How, has this been a blessing to anybody out there? Man, bring, listen, let me just, man, tell these folk to come out here and get this, man. Y'all need to be bringing folk up in here, man. They need to hear this stuff. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Power Night. We thank you for this teaching. We thank you for your plans for us. And God, you, you've been telling me, I got to deal with this thing. We got some single folk out here, God, who are, I mean, this, it's, this is a new world. I mean, it's a world now where I've had individuals come to me, Father, and tell me that people have propositioned them for oral sex and they don't even know them. I mean, people are hitting on one another and, and, and just being forward with each other about their sexuality. I mean, it's everywhere. But your word says that there is...